Good evening, everyone. Oh, man. We didn't say go to dinner with each other. We just said shake some hands, all right? Uh, Let's try that again. Good evening, everyone. Man, you guys look awesome. I just want you to know that. Um, And so we're going to get ready to jump into it. Kyle's helping to set something up uh, for me. It's for me, but it's for you, actually. Um, so, uh, man, shout out to Pastor Dan, who's been doing some of the walks through, walk through in Romans for the last few chapters. Uh, and so, uh, he's the OG, the Italian gangster. Uh, and so... Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get ready to jump into Romans 4. So, go get your Bibles out. We're going to Romans 4. If this is your first, first Wednesday, <clears throat> um, I just want to kind of catch you up on what you can expect that's different than a Sunday, all right? So if this is your first, first Wednesday, or maybe this is your first time with us in general, um, on first Wednesdays, we do exposition or expository teaching only, all right? So, uh, or an, an exegesis of the text. So what that means is, whereas on Sundays, we'll move through passages, and so we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about a topic, and around that topic, we'll find all these scriptures that kind of talk to it. On First Wednesdays, that's not how we roll. On First Wednesdays, we pick a chapter of the Bible, and we're just gonna we're gonna move. Now, here's the disadvantage that we're at tonight. Okay, the last time I did an exposition on Romans four, I did it in four weeks. So we're gonna do it tonight. Okay, so um, so pray for me right now, because. Uh, we have, we have much to do and not nearly enough time to do it. Okay. Um, and so let's do it. Uh, what I have also done, what Kyle has constructed for me up here, if I can, oh boy. All right. We're going to try to make it all work. All right. Um, what we have for you tonight is, um, I'm going to, we're going to work through the text on the screen. Um, so like we're actually, we're going to have the passage on the screen but we have a lot of things to connect, a lot of dots to connect. And so everything tonight is around Abraham. Um, and so uh, let's just pray and we'll jump in. Thank you, Kyle. Can you give it up for Kyle? Kyle. Kyle. He taped that so that I didn't die. That's what it, so I didn't trip over this and the whole thing comes crumbling down and we got to buy new laptops and stuff. All right. Um, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We love you. Um, We thank you that you're so good to us, and we thank you that um, it is by your grace that we are able to access you um, in in this faith. And so I just pray that tonight everybody would be encouraged um, as we unpack your word together, um, and ultimately that you would be glorified. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So catch you up on what's happening in Romans 4. Romans 4, Paul comes in, he's talking to the Jews who are reconciling how they, how they are raised versus what the gospel tells them. So in Romans 4, what we're going to do is we're gonna, he's going to reference Abraham for almost the entire chapter. There's a reason why he's doing that, so we're going to unpack that together. All right, if you love your Bible, tonight will be fun. If you don't ever read it, I don't know. I don't know what tonight's going to be for you. Um, we'll, see, we'll just see what happens. Um, all right, but I want to read two. I want to read two texts for you to lay the framework for what uh, what Paul is going to be talking about, and both of them are out of Genesis. Okay, so uh, Genesis fifteen six. You don't need to go there, but I'm just going to give it to you. You can write it down in your notes. But uh, Abram believed. Say believed. Believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Say righteousness. That matters on what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay. Then in uh, chapter 17, verses 3 through 5 of Genesis, it, said, it says, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Say nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. All right? So let's go to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to get started Um, And what I'm going to do as we read is I'm going to underline certain portions of the text for you on the screen so you can keep track of what you're underlining in your Bible. All right. So if this is if this is new for you, we're going to read some stop and then recap what we just read. Okay, makes sense. All right. Very good. So let's get to it. All right. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one whom does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to come, God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who, who against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right, we're going to stop there in verse 8. And so let's move through some of what's happening here. So verse 1, we see... Right. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefathers, according to the flesh? And so essentially what he's saying is Paul is asking us, what good was Abraham's works? All the things that he did right, what good were they? Because the Jews believe, again, keep in mind, Paul is talking to Jews here. And in this time, Jews believe your works get you to God. And Paul is having to correct their thinking because the gospel is now intact. Jesus has now come and Paul is having to correct the Jews for what they used to believe was right. And so Paul is doing it strategically by talking about Abraham, because if you're going to go to if you're going to talk about somebody and need to deal with them about their lineage and belief system, you're not going to talk to them about them or their father. You're going to talk to them about where it started. And the Jews understand that it all started with Abraham. All right. So if you can go back to Abraham then we can help hopefully them identify what they might be missing. And that's what he does. So what is it, Abraham, our forefathers? Kind of said. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works. I want you to underline that word works, right? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. I want you to underline the word boast, all right? But... Not before God. I want you to underline not before God, all right, if you're going through your text, all right, but not before God. Now, I want to, I want to take a second and let's unpack what that means, right? So if, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. In other words, what Paul is saying is if he could work his way to God, he would have. This is Abraham we're talking about. So if he could have done it by works, he would have done it by works, but he can't do it by works, Right. So what is he identifying? Well, I want, you to re- I want to reference Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you're taking notes, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, what does it say? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And here's what it says in verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. And so what Paul is doing in Romans is he's also referencing what he's communicating to the church in Ephesus, which is if you could get your way to God, think about it right now. I want you to think about you. Look in the, look in the mirror of you for a second. If you could do it on your own, how good would you feel about you about doing it on your own? Can we be real for a second? Like if you could get to God on works, wouldn't you walk around with your chest puffed out on good days? Like look at me. Don't some of us still try to do it anyways? And what, he, what he's saying is, what, what Paul is saying here is, it's not by works because here's the deal. How many guys needed grace today? Anybody mess something up today? All right. So you needed grace today. Well, here's the deal. If you could get to God by works, you wouldn't need grace because of your works. The problem is, even if you could do everything correctly, you would become self-righteous about how you did it correctly and then need grace for that. So it doesn't matter where you're at in this journey. If you kill it, then you would feel so good about killing it that you would need God's grace because you took the place of God in your own life. And so what Paul is saying is you can't boast even in how well you do, because even in how well you do, you're not doing well at all because you're boasting in how well you're doing. So you need grace for how good you are as well as how bad you are. That's what Paul is saying. Some of y'all are like, I didn't read that. I read this. I didn't read that. That's what Paul is saying. Which is like disheartening and encouraging at the same time. Am I right? So, you're, so Brad, you're telling me like I can never be good enough. Exactly. Be encouraged in Jesus' name. Go with God. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 3, right? So, oh, and pause for a second. Not before God. What we see not before God is I want to help you identify. Um, Paul is making a reference to an Old Testament passage there. Um, and so he's saying you might be able to boast before others but you can't boast before God. And what he's doing, what Paul is doing, is actually communicating to the Jews about a passage that they know well, which is Isaiah 64.6, uh, where it says, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. 
So he's communicating to them. By, when he says not before God, he's referencing a text that they're very familiar with and saying, hey, don't forget the thing we all already know because we've already learned it in the Old Testament. And that's that even if we could stand before God, we can't stand before righteousness. We're standing before him righteous because our righteousness is like filthy rags. So Paul said a lot in verses 1 and 2, right? And we got more. All right, so, so for what does the Scripture say? Let's keep going in verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right, I want you to underline believe God in your Bible. So Abraham believed God, right? And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is an important distinction because what Paul is referencing with the word believed is what we saw in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it said, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, here's what we do with the Bible sometimes, and it's kind of, it, it messes us up if we don't pay attention to what's happening. How could Abraham in the book of Genesis been, have been credited righteousness if Jesus hasn't come yet? So, what Paul is saying is Abraham had access to something that wasn't even paid for yet in the timeline of heaven. Well, I should say in the timeline of earth. But it was something that had been atoned to him in the timeline of heaven. And it was his faith. He believed in God and was counted as righteous. And that's going to matter in a minute, but I wanted to pause there. Let's go to verse 4, okay? In verse 4, it keeps on going. Now to the one uh, who works, his wages are not counted as gifts, underline gifts. I don't know what that was. Surely it doesn't matter. <laughs> not as, uh, it's not counted as a gift, but as his due. I want you to circle or underline the word due, right? Because what is Paul communicating right here? What you're doing what you're doing as you serve, what you're doing when you love your neighbor, what you're doing as you give of your gifts, what you're doing when you play in a worship team or greet at a door or lead a group or whatever, what you're doing when you do that, that is not your gift to God. That's what we should, we should give to God. Like, so is it a gift? Yes. But when we think of it as a gift, we think of ourself as the giver and God as the recipient. Am I right? Like, look what I'm doing for God right now. I'm giving him my gift. God's like, brother, you wouldn't be able to walk forwards, backwards, or sideways if it wasn't for me. And so what, what Paul is helping us see here is it's not a gift. It's, it's our due. It, it's our responsibility as believers to own our good works, not puff our chest out about them, or even use them like poker chips that we stack against God. God, look at all I'm doing for you. Anybody guilty of that? Man, I'm doing this, and I'm doing, God, look at all I'm doing for you. And here's the problem. Don't we really get down to this when things get bad for us? Come on, look in the mirror for a second. When things are going wrong in your life, have you ever used your serving, your works, what you do for God as poker chips against him? Like, God, look what I'm doing for you. Surely you can do something for me. And what he's saying is like, no, 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 no. That's not a gift. That's, that's just what we do. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, and you can underline a circle, does not work, but believes, right? For the one that does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, underline justifies, I told you this is why I put all this on the screen, the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now I want to be clear about verse 5 for a second, because I've had someone tell me like, man, it doesn't matter if I work. Like a husband saying, like, it doesn't matter if I work because Romans 4, I'm like, brother, that is literally not what it's talking about. Right? Like for those that work, those that don't work, it's like, no, no, no. What do you, what do you say there? And to the one who does not work but believes in him who has justified the ungodly, what he's saying is, is it's not your work that lets you be justified. It's your faith. Keep on going. Just as David also, or his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 6, just as... Uh, David also speaks of the blessing uh, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then it goes on in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right? 
And so what we're seeing here all the way through verse 8 is it's not about work. It's about Abraham believing. So he's referencing Abraham for the Jews, and he's saying it's not about the works, man. It's about your faith. It was about Abraham believing. It wasn't about how well he did all those things. And the reason this is important is Paul's getting ready to unpack something for them that they would push back on heavily if, if he hadn't unpacked this first. All right. And so that's what we're about to get into in a second. So Abraham's faith is counted to him as righteousness before anything else. Let's go to verse 9, and we're going to start picking this apart. We'll read all the way to verse 12, okay? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Keep in mind the Jews would be circumcised, and that was part of the works action uh, in reference to them being part of God's people, right? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So Paul is using Jewish language to communicate to them how they identify with different people groups, okay? So is, it, is he part of, are they part of our camp or not a part of our camp, all right? For we say that faith, say faith, was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So I know for some of you, like, this is a lot. It is, right? But what he's saying is Paul received by faith, a belonging to God before he did the thing that you people are saying he needs to do to belong to God. And he's the father of your nation. He's the lineage you came from. And all of you are saying you need to do all of this to belong to God. But he didn't do the thing you're saying you need to do to belong to God. So he's identifying that if it were if, if you had to fit into the camp you guys are trying to fit into, the very person that we all came from wouldn't get into the camp. And this is where I think we got to get it together. I'm off the stool now. <laughs> this is where I think we have to get it together. Because if Paul, all right, if the Jews are given a promise from God to belong in the Old Testament, right, and they are, and Paul is stepping in and saying, I know that you've believed this way for a long time, but you're going to have to shift this thinking because Jesus came on the scene and he did something. He, he changed the game. He didn't get rid of something, but he did finish something. And now what you keep trying to do is pull people into your rule following rather than pulling people into the faith. And if there's anything that we can identify with church world right now, it's how the church, historic, capital C church, like the church worldwide, we want so badly to pull people into rule following more than we want to pull them into faith. So like if you'll just act right, if you'll just be right, like if you'll just get all your stuff together, you could belong. But until you get your stuff together, you can't belong. And that's the very thing that Paul was fixing with the Romans and we're still dealing with it now. Like, it, it drives me crazy. I've said this before. Like, it doesn't shock me when fish swim, when birds fly, and when sinners sin. Like, none of that shocks me. And so what do we do? We go to people who don't know God yet, don't love God yet, don't have a desire for God yet. And we say, if you'll, if you'll put on different clothes, if you'll stop loving people that are the same sex as you, if you'll get all these things together then you can come be a part of us. But until you, don't, until you get those together, you can't come be a part of us. And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is communicating is it was faith first. Then you got it together. So why do we keep trying to clean the fish before we catch it? And so that's what Paul is communicating in Romans 4 to the Jewish people. He's, again, understanding the context. He's talking to Jewish people about Jewish things because they're missing out on the gospel because of how hard they're working. And he's trying to set them free from that. The same way we should be looking at people and saying, you have a desire to be a good person, but you can't be a good person. Because every time you try your hardest, you still feel like you're failing. And let me show you why you're failing. Because you weren't designed to be good on your own. There's something in you that'll never let you. But somebody came so that all of your shortcomings wouldn't be the reason why you don't belong. They would be the reason why he came so you could belong. Grace is afforded to you through Jesus Christ because he knew you wouldn't be perfect. 
So valiant as your efforts may be, you're going to miss the mark. And so we need Christ. And so in Romans 4, he's communicating these things that I feel like the church could really pay close attention to. And that is we don't try to fix people before their faith. We encourage them once they're in the faith. All right. Let's keep going. All right. So it was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision. This is verse 11, by the way. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father. Oh, my goodness. It's 734. Sorry. Um, He had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose uh, was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had been uh, had. Before he was circumcised. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 9 and start unpacking this. And I'm, we're just going to, my God, we're going to do all we can. All right. Is it blessing then only for the circumcised? Is this blessing what, what he was just talking about? Belonging to God, having faith in God, belong, like having the favor. Is it only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Faith... As righteousness. So it was his faith. What we already unpacked. It was his faith that was counted as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? All right. So again, we're unpacking what we just talked about. Was it before or after he was circumcised? And Paul makes it clear. It was not after. Therefore, faith was counted to him before he did the thing that got him in. So he was considered God's, considered righteous, Before he did all the stuff, right? Verse 11 says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness, right? And so one of the things I want to point out in verse 10, it wasn't before, it was after, right? Uh, I want to encourage you with this. Remember, God's order never changes. So it's always faith first, work second. Faith first, work second, right? Are works important? Yes, but it's faith first, works second, okay? Um, And so in verse 11, right, we see he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness. You can circle the seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without Keyword without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as well. And then I, I already communicated this, but I'm gonna help you unpack it just in case. Like Romans four is hard, so I'm just trying to make sure I don't lose everyone. All right. The purpose was to make sure that people could see that if Abraham got in by faith and not by being circumcised, if he got in by faith and not by works, guess what's available to them? Guess what they as a people should be trying to do? Pursue faith and not works first. Okay, so that's what he's saying all the way through verse 11. We'll pick up in 12. And to make him the father of the uncircumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And I wish Paul would have just like, brother, can you find new words? Like, I just feel like this, this repetition thing. The first time I read it, as I was getting ready for tonight, the first time I read it, I went, oh my God. Like, this is going to be a doozy. So, um, hence the screen. All right. Um, but all that to say is <clears throat> in verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely the circumcised or belonging, not merely part of the camp, not really part of who we are, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our Abraham, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And what Paul is communicating to them in chapter or in verse 12 is it is far more important that you be connected to Abraham through his faith than by the works. Being circumcised isn't nearly as important as it is to recognize that he's the father of our faith, not the father of our works. Right? So let's keep on going. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm checking my notes. I yeah, anyways, all right. Um 
And then again, this goes back to what I was talking about a second ago. It relieves the pressure of the whole like do right, act right mentality. Like do like do right, act right, follow the rules, check all the religious boxes so that you can be righteous, right? Like don't do drugs, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, don't do like don't cuss at the McDonald's McFlurry machine that's still broken. Don't cuss at the Circle K people because they keep running out of French vanilla creamer, even though it's been six weeks already, and they definitely could have filled it by now, but whatever. Um, you know, so, Sorry, that was my high horse. I feel like I needed to deal with it for just a minute. Um, you know, the fact that the hot now sign is never on when you pass Krispy Kreme, right? Like, whatever it is that's got, like, you know what I'm saying? Now, we all laugh, but in all, in all reality, there are you have a list of checkboxes that when you're checking them, you feel like you're killing it. And when you're not, you feel like a failure. You have a list. You got your own checkboxes. And my encouragement to you today is, if not checking the boxes is causing you to pull away from God, look at what Paul's saying right here. Not checking the boxes is the reason you come to God in faith, because your works isn't enough. Because through your works, even if you're killing it, you couldn't get close enough to God. So you need him. You need faith. You need grace. Because you can't. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't. Look back at him and say, oh, I know. I've seen your profile before. I watched you. I see you. All right. So. That's why, uh, coming off of verse 12, that's why James 2.17, if you guys want to write that down, is so important. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. And without, with a slight misunderstanding of the hermeneutic here, um, or the, the, an understanding of how that text is meant to be read, is James is saying, faith without works is dead, but Paul is saying, you need no works for your faith to be alive. So what is this tension that we're dealing with between what James is saying and what Paul is saying? Well, obviously, James is a heretic and a liar, right? No, because it's the word of God. All right, so, like, so James is saying faith without works is dead, but Paul is saying you don't need works to have faith. So what do we do with that? Well, let me help you out with that. Works does not lead us to faith, but rather faith leads us to works. So I think the best way to put it is works without faith leads to death. But faith that does not lead to works is no faith at all. So to claim that you have faith in God, to claim that you have faith in Jesus Christ who has died and saved us from our sins, who has paid for it, to claim to have all of those things and have nothing to show for it is no faith at all. That's what James is saying in 2.17. Faith without works is no faith at all. And so let me encourage some of you today to get back to work because you've sat long enough. Like you've, your, your talent, your gift, whatever God gave you, he gave it to you for a reason. And you don't need to use it so that you can have faith. But because you have faith, you do need to use it. So find your space. Find your spot. Find what it is God has gifted you and called you to do. And, and let's get moving with that thing, man. Because faith without works is dead, which is what James is trying to communicate. Faith without doing something with your faith is no faith at all. And so let's have an active faith, not a passive one, and certainly not a reactive one. All right? So let's keep going. Verse 15, <clears throat> um, or verse 14, sorry. Um, sorry, verse 13. God, we're all the way back there. All right, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if it's all about the people that can always get it right, then faith isn't necessary. But it's not, right? Verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. I want you to circle that. Where, no, where there is no law, there is no transgression, right? Um, right here. <clears throat> because we have an understanding that where there's no law, there's no law to break. So 
where you're not getting it right. If the law says you have to get it right and you're not getting it right, you're not good enough. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not good enough. Look back at him and say, I know, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to figure this out, all right? How about you mind, how about you mind your business, all right? No, <laughs> that one really hit. Awesome, all right, great. Um, where there is no law, there is no transgression, all right? And this is where Matthew five seventeen comes from. I want to give you context. One of the things that happens in Romans 4 is Paul does a good job spiderwebbing this chapter into everything that's being communicated through the Gospels, through the Ephesians, through the Old Testament. Uh, he really spiderwebs this thing. Because again, the Jews have a rich history. They know what they believe. So Paul bringing something new to the table isn't going to convince them of anything. So what does he have to do? He has to use what they already know kind of against them to help them see what God wanted all along. And that's what he does here. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think, this is Jesus talking, by the way. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. So what Jesus is saying here is, uh, and this is what the Bible does to us, right? Um, how many of you guys have ever heard, like, the Bible, like, B-I-B-L-E? That's the book. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. Anybody ever heard that before? That's the worst description of the Bible I've ever seen in my entire life. Because if you, listen to me, if you try to live that way, you will look in the mirror every day and tell yourself how bad you are. Because how many guys look at the Bible? How many, some of us read the Bible and we let the Bible read us. So when we read it, we go, all right, I'm not supposed to do that. 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 And we ain't even made it out the door yet. We're like kicking the dog, you know what I mean? Like we're, we've lost our temper or whatever, like, right? Am I, okay, so... And this is, a, this is an important distinction because Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I can't. So the law, I want you to think about the Bible as a mirror for a second. The Bible is a mirror and it lets you look at yourself through the lens of what you should be and see everything you're not. So what it says is the law, the Bible, is a mirror showing you all the things in your life that are still jacked up. Grace be to God. And if it stopped there, you're looking at the law and saying, man, I can't meet this. I mean, the equivalent of like the speed limit everywhere being 25. It's over with. Sorry, I'm just not, I'm not doing it. Right? I believe that the speed limit is whatever I'm doing at the time, personally. Like, I, that's, that's the right speed. That's what I think. Whatever. They want my opinion, they'll ask. When we look at the law, how we feel is, this is ludicrous for me to even try to keep up with. And here's what happens as, as believers if we don't understand what is supposed to be happening through the Bible. is we look at it and go, I can never do this. And just like a speed limit of 25, since I can't ever do it, I'm not even going to bother trying. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.17 is, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. So that in your shortcomings of pursuing it, I'm the grace that makes up the difference when you do fall. I fulfilled everything you're trying to do. I lived the perfect life you couldn't live. I died the sinless death you couldn't die. I paid the perfect price you could not pay so that you could have access to the God you shouldn't have access to. I fulfilled it because you couldn't. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't shocked that you couldn't. So Jesus isn't looking at you like, God, this guy again. No, he's looking at you like, oh, man, I knew that was going to happen. And that's why I brought grace into your life. Now, is this permission to go wild out every weekend? The law is still there. It's just that Jesus fulfilled it to give us grace where in our shortcomings, he steps in and goes, no, 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 I got that. I got that. All right. And so... Let's keep going. Grace was needed. Uh, when we look at the no law, no transgression concept, we also see that grace was needed and received by faith because we couldn't keep it. Let's go verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order. I'll tell you what. Do me a favor. If you see the word faith, just underline it. All right. We probably should have started with that. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace 
and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, Paul is a Jew talking to Jews, okay? And so it keeps on going. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, underline life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, this is a powerful revelation. And I want to pause for a second and help you understand. Because what he says in the life to the, uh, brings life to the dead concept. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So this is what, this is what Paul is referencing again. Right. This isn't a text that's been created yet because Romans and Ephesians and all that. So like similar time frame. But he's he's communicating the same thing that he communicates in Ephesians 2, but in a different way. In Ephesians 2, as for you, say you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Listen to me. You weren't stumbling. You weren't kind of walking. You weren't doing kind of good enough on your own. You were dead. Like you could there was there was no goodness in you. And if there was goodness in you, it was selfish goodness. Like you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us. Man, come on. I'm really, I've been thinking about Pastor Dan's going to have a heart attack when I say this. So I was talking to John this week (laughs) and I was like, I have a series idea. Tell me what you think. And he, you know, like anytime I say that, John braces himself. And I was like, man, I'm thinking about doing a series called I Like Big Butts. See, look at him, look at him. He's already like, ah, I don't know. But referencing everywhere in the, everywhere in the Bible, it says, but God. Okay, so like, just so we're clear, like, those are big butts, you know what I'm saying? Like, we'll hash it out in a staff meeting, all right? Y'all know what that instrumental is going to be, though, just for the record, so... I told John, we'll get t-shirts that says, my church likes big butts. We'll either lose them all or win them all. Pop, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how that's going to (laughs) go. Oh man. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I really derailed that. Let's go back. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, come on, guys, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. We didn't stumble upon God. We weren't like, oh, man, I really wish there was, oh, look, Jesus. No, no, no. You were dead. You were dead in your pornography. You were dead in your drinking addiction. You were dead in your drug problem. You were dead in your bitterness, your unforgiveness. You were dead in the fact that you couldn't forgive. You were dead in whatever it is that consumes you. And you didn't go looking for God. God came looking for you. And he brought you to life. And in his bringing you to life, he did what you couldn't do for yourself. The same way he did for Abraham, what Abraham could not do for himself. Is God created something out of nothing. He's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. This is the gift of God. Again, like we read earlier, not by works though, so that no one can boast. It's all God. So there's life to the dead, but then there's also he calls into existence the things that do not exist. And this shows up multiple ways. The first way it shows up is creation. Obviously, in Genesis 1 and 2, right? He creates something out of nothing, right? So there's nothing and God creates. He's the one that calls something when there's nothing there. But he doesn't just do it in creation. He also does it in faith. There was no hope in you, but he called to life. He called to existence what did not exist. 
And God shows up and calls to existence in you what does not exist. But here's what I want you to grab a hold of. It's not just in creation. It's not just in faith. But it's also in your hopes and in your dreams and in your believing that God's going to do something when you don't know how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it. It's believing for our children. It's believing for our marriage. It's believing for our church. It's believing for your life. It's believing that the doctor's report isn't the final word. It's believing that the, the foreclosure notice on your house isn't the final word. It's believing that the business that you tried to launch three times, but when you launch it the fourth time, God is going to come through and do something miraculous. It's believing that he can create out of nothing something that would exist right here in this world. He creates. So it's not just in Genesis 1 and it's not just waiting for a new heaven and new earth in Revelation. It's the fact that God works to all things together for us, for our good, for his good, for those of us that are called according to his purpose and riches and glory. It's recognizing that God has set into motion some things for us to be able to do and recognize that he'll create something out of nothing. So Every time you say it's too late, every time you say I'm too old, every time you say I'm too young, every time you say I can't do that, I'm here to tell you, believe that God can call into existence what does not exist yet. Man, that's so good. Y'all got to read this book, man. It's crazy. Oh, stuff in here. Y'all would have got caught up on the circumcised thing. I'm telling you, there's some stuff in here. Verses 18 and 19. This, I, it's unfortunate that we're so late right now because this is the stuff that I couldn't wait to get to. In hope, he believed against hope. Say hope. I just want you to under, I want you to circle and underline everywhere it says hope. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. But he did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. I love how Paul does immense words here. He wasn't like, he was kind of old. He's like, no, he was as good as dead. All right. Because he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And I want you to, I want to pause for a second because what I want you, we got to go back and remember what Abraham's been promised. Abraham's been promised. Jesus said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And after the promise, Abram's a hundred years old. Doesn't have any kids yet. Some of you, some of y'all ladies are like, listen, after like 35. You know what I'm saying? Whatever your number is, you probably got a number. It's all good. I'm just saying. 45, 55. We have a pastor friend. I think he had his last kid at like 60 or something, 55. God bless him. Jesus' name. Yeah. No, yeah. Grace upon grace. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But all that to say is, man, could you imagine you're getting this promise from God as Abraham? You're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless the nations through your lineage, your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. They're going to outnumber the stars in the sky is what he says in the Old Testament. Go look. And Abraham's faith carried him because if he was going by what he saw he never would have seen the promise and that's what Paul is saying he didn't weaken in faith verse 19 he didn't weaken in faith when he was when he considered his own body which was as good as dead or even when he considered the barrenness of his wife's womb when he thought about man there's no way this can happen I'm too old my wife can't we've been trying to have kids for Decades. So what do we do? Right? Go to verse 20. No distrust was made, made him wavering concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Man, let that be your life verse. You know what I'm saying? Say it again. No distrust made him waver. No, no moment of him thinking there's no way God could come through. No amount of time where it looked like God's promises wouldn't be fulfilled. None of those things wavered his faith of what God had promised. He grew strong in his faith. How did he grow strong in his faith? What does it say? As he gave glory to God. Maybe we should stop looking at how big our problems are and start looking at how big our God is. 
He grew not in staring at what he didn't have. He grew in faith looking at what he did have, which was God. And when you've got God, you've got enough. That, verse 22, all right, verse 21, fully convinced, say fully convinced, that God was able to do what he promised. In verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Despite not knowing, despite being confused, despite hurting, despite probably tearful nights, despite crying, despite probably being frustrated, Despite all of those things, he was fully convinced while he gave glory to God that he was able to do what he promised. And that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. We'll keep going very quickly. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Right? But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I want you to circle, it will be counted to us, or underline it or whatever, it will be counted to us who believe. Because what Paul is communicating to Jews in the book of Romans, that I believe we pull from this text as we wrap up for tonight, is it is about what you believe, not just what you do. We've already covered it, but if you try to check all the boxes, you're not going to check all the boxes, right? I want to take you to, that's where Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, verses 18 and 19 connect to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Now faith is the confidence. Think Think about what Abraham has to be channeling right now. Been trying and trying and trying, still nothing. In Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, and faith is the confidence in what we hope for with the assurance about what we don't see yet. And this is, what, this is so, what's so cool about Hebrews 11, because how many guys know like that's where we lose, that's where we stop reading, right? Anybody, like, faith is the assurance, of, like, what, so faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance we have not seen, and we move on, right? Look at what verse 2 says, well, you can't see it, sorry. This is what verse 2 says. This is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, this is what our forefathers were commended for. And in Hebrews 11, same chapter, verses 8 through 12, I just want to read it to you quickly. Because as they're writing Hebrews, they reference what Paul is telling us in Romans 4 that we see happening in Genesis 15. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, this is what it says. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, say faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jabba, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, where 11 kicks in, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, he as good as deed, uh, as good as dead, sorry, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. So Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of what we hope for with the evidence of things we have not seen yet is a prelude conversation to verses 8 through 12, where they reference Abraham, which is what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 4. So when we quote Hebrews 11.1, 1, God, I'm believing faith is substance of what I've hoped for, the evidence of things I have seen. I'm going to go to Hobby Lobby and find that. And surely it's written on something. I'm going to post it in my kitchen so I can see it every day. Like When we do that, remember not just your life, But Hebrews 11.1 verse 2 says that we should look at it through the lens of those that came before us, the ancients, the forefathers. That's what they were commended for, is having faith in something they hadn't seen happen yet. And if Abraham can be rewarded righteousness because his faith that lasted decades, listen to me, you can last a few weeks. You can last a few months. So that business didn't work the first time. 
Do it again. So it looks like your marriage may be falling. Listen, keep trying. So you, God gave you a promise, but it hadn't happened yet. Keep going. Because what you're clinging to in, in Hebrews 11.1 1, is fulfilled in 8 through 12, which is what Romans 4 is talking about, that God comes through for his people. And because we believe God comes through for his people, we can lean into the righteousness that's been given to Abraham through faith. And hear me, we have access to God and to God's promises because of faith. Not what we've done. Not how good we are. Not how we checked all the right boxes. Not how awesome that we are and like we're good Christian lives and we watch TBN and all that stuff, which but not, none of those things get you into the right boxes. Listen to me. I don't care how many Maverick City songs you know. I don't care how many Gaither band, whatever that place, Gaithers, that, whatever. I don't care. Doesn't matter. None of those things get you where you need to be. Faith in Christ gets you in the door. And because of that, you lean on his promises. Because of that, you pursue good works. Because of that, you say yes to loving people, serving people, serving the house, serving the church, serving the kingdom. You find everywhere you can say yes to because of what he's done. Not so that you can get your interest way through the door. And that is the faith that we cling to. And it made Abraham righteous before God. And hear me. That faith is what gives us access to God. We lean on it. We trust in it. It's everything that we need. Amen? Let's pray. I went over four minutes. I can't believe we did it. Father, we are so grateful for you. Come on, church. Just join me for just a minute. We're going to wrap up. Just thank them tonight. That it, because if it were up to us, none of us gets in. So with your own words, you know your shortcomings, and in light of those shortcomings, God's goodness is coming after you. That song we sang tonight, your goodness is running after me. And so God, we, just, we thank you that your goodness comes after us. It is not about our works. It is all about your goodness. And so as you pursue us, I pray that we find great confidence not in how well we're killing it today, but in how good you are to us. Let our faith in the one who is greater than our sin and our problems overwhelm our minds so much that when before we see our hurdles, our hang-ups, our problems, our shortcomings, we see you. Thank you for your word that gives us life. Tonight, I pray for any person that is here, Father, who is hung up on trying to work their way to be seen a particular way. For all of us that are trying to make too much happen on our own. For all of us whose faith doesn't seem enough, so we're trying to lean into our works. God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by you and your faith and our faith in you. And so, God, for those who have felt like a failure looking in the mirror lately, for those who have been overwhelmed by their own inadequacies, their own insecurities, and their own shortcomings, for all of us, who have boasted far too much on our capabilities. For those of us that have felt like we were running headfirst into trying to be rather than trying to trust. Come on, guys. That's why the Holy Spirit's speaking right now. for those who are exhausted in their valiant attempts to be the person that you've called us to be. For the parents who despite giving it their best lay uh, in bed at night wondering if they'll ever get it right. For the students or the business owners who despite planning and praying don't seem to be able to get this thing off the ground. 
for the person that is in here or the people that are in here that that their shame is throwing a shadow over their heart and over their mind. God, help us see that it wasn't by works, but it was by faith. So God, I pray, as the Father did in Mark chapter nine, I believe, I have faith, but help my unbelief. I have faith, but help me where I don't have enough. When I don't see you working and I try to pick up the hammer of my own, when I don't feel like you're going fast enough and so I try to speed up the car of life, when I don't feel like I see you moving in my family or in my children or in my marriage or in my job, and I try to take the wheel myself, Oh, God, that you would slow us down and show us just like we read tonight with Paul about Abraham, that we would give you glory in the waiting. And that is where we find our hope. Bring peace into the hearts that are troubled tonight. Bring hope into the hearts that feel like it's too late. For those that have been consumed by chaos lately, speak life. And for those who have only been able to see what they can't do, and they keep missing what they can do. I pray that you would show them that it's all about what you're doing through us, not what we're doing for you. Let our hearts be encouraged tonight. And as we put our hands to the plow, let us do it in grace in joy and in peace, not in misery or in frustration and not in a hurry. God, we trust your timing. We trust your timing. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying right now, this may be one, this may be for one person, this may be for all of you. You have given up on what I promised you, says the Lord. Because my promises didn't fit into your schedule. But the calendar of heaven is not read by men or women. It operates on my clock. I will do the things that I have promised you that I will do. I will fulfill the promises that I gave you. I will set into motion the plans that I have promised. Give me glory in the waiting, says the Lord and I will show you that I finish what I start. Thank you, God. We love you tonight, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, say it with me, guys. Amen and amen. All right. This all sets the stage for Romans 5. Come back next month, and we'll do that together. It'll be a good time. Listen to me. I went over on time. I'm so sorry. If you have kids in Kids Church, go get them in the next two minutes, please. All right. I love you. High five somebody before you leave. <laughs>